Welcome to Cultivando Tilenestad Podcast. I am Kari, and I'll be your host every week from this podcast series. Every week, I'll have a co-host with me from our Cultiva team. The purpose of this podcast is to cultivate Latinx community care during this current pandemic. We'll be talking about the importance of mental health and what it means to take care of your well-being as an individual, as a family, and as a community. Each week, we'll be discussing different topics under the umbrella of self-care. And we'll be inviting guests to share their knowledge and practical tools for coping and building resilience during these trying times. Today, we're really excited because we have a couple of really important guests that are with us to discuss what is self-care and how do we take care of, we, of ourselves and each other. And as well as today accompanying me here is Karina, and she will be my co-host today. So welcome, Karina. Yeah. Hi, Vadi. So um, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Karina Monroy, and I'm the executive director of Creciendo Juntos, which is a Latinx-centered nonprofit here in Charlottesville, Virginia. We focus on equity and leadership development with, within the Latinx community, particularly through creative expression, art, and cultural celebration. Um, and like Vadi mentioned, we are, uh, we collaborate with the Women's Initiative on our uh, Cultiva Mental Health Work Group. So that's kind of how this project came to be. So um, before I introduce our really exciting guests, uh, I also want to take the time to acknowledge the current situation that we're in at the time of this recording. So like Vadi talked about in the intro, we're in the midst of a pandemic, which has hit vulnerable communities the hardest. But we are also in the middle of a huge social movement, uh, social justice movement, which has been happening for a long time, but has just really heightened in the last few weeks with the unfortunate um, and terrible uh, killing of George Floyd by police officers. So we are in the middle of these protests that are fighting against racism and police brutality, which has historically and unproportionately been experienced by black communities. So we also want to take the time to really look inward and look within our own communities, especially as, you know, as Vadi and I and our other co-hosts, which will be on, you know, as us being non-Black Latinx women, we want to also start having these difficult conversations about racism and anti-Blackness within our Latinx community as well. Um, so, yeah, so it's time for to reframe our healthcare and economic systems failures and inequalities that has been driving the pandemic to its current state in the US. So we'll just be, you know, we'll be talking about these intersectionalities along with the importance of self-care as we record these episodes. Yeah. So Yeah, of course. Um, do you have anything else to add about that buddy or do you? No, that's that's beautiful. Thank you for saying all that. And yes, um, um, we are excited about doing this collaboration with Cusiendo Juntos and it's 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 just an honor to be able to 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 provide this support and um, service for for all of you listeners out there who are really interested in wanting to know more about the topics that we'll be bridging in our next few episodes. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, we have two very special guests today yeah. we're really excited about. Um, so I'll go ahead and choose our first guest. So our first guest's name is Irene P. Matthew. 
um, or Matthew, sorry. Uh, so Dr. Irene P. Matthew is a general pediatrician at the University of Virginia, where she serves as director of the Pediatric Department's Equity and Inclusion Committee and affiliate faculty in the Center for Health Humanities and Ethics. She earned a BA in International Relations from the College of William and Mary before completing a Fulbright Research Fellowship in the Dominican Republic. She attended Vanderbilt University Medical School and completed residency at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where she was selected as Global Health Track Resident. She is currently a candidate for a Master's of Public Health at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Irene has conducted mixed methods, community-engaged research in Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and Tennessee, USA. She is also the author of three poetry collections, Grand Moronage, which was selected as editor's choice for the Gatewood Prize and runner-up for the Cave Canon slash Northwestern Book Prize, Orogeny, which won the Bob Kaufman Book Prize and the Galaxy of Origins. Irene serves as a poetry book reviewer for Muzzle Magazine and an editor for the Journal of General Internal medicine's human section, and she has received creative writing fellowships from Kalalu Creative, creative Writing Workshop and the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. Irene's creative and advocacy work has been featured on NPR, LA Times, Doctors Who Create, Hashtag Med Hum Chat, Richmond Times Dispatch, The Philadelphia Inquirer, Kevin MD, and other media outlets and publications. So um, overall, Irene is amazing. And she also, I'm also very proud to say that she serves on our Creciendo Juntos board. So we're really excited to have her today. And our second amazing guest will be introduced by Vadi. Yes, thank you, Karina, for that great introduction. And yes, we are really happy and excited to have Irene here with us today. So for our next guest, who uh, his name is Sergio Leiva, he is a born and raised Costa Rican Tico. Uh, he studied at the University of Costa Rica from the School of Communications. He's also studied at the University Autonomous of Barcelona in Spain and received his master's in Strategics of Communication and Art Direction of Islava from the same university in Spain. He is a consultant and collaborator in marketing and publicity for various companies like Garnier BBDO and Florida Bebidas back in Costa Rica, as well as working in projects using visual arts and virtual reality with urban planning while he lived in Germany, Berlin. In 2014, Sergio founded Good Food Costa Rica. This company is a great successful story and it's a great company that wanted to reestablish the relationship between the social habits around nutrition by providing a daily fresh door-to-door -door service. Preparing foods that were done locally from the same day catered to provide a balanced and healthy diet backed up by a team of professionals dedicated to the well-being of our bodies. In 2018, they received the first prize from Mark Memelsor Award of Design in Madrid, where 
it was the first prize given to a Costa Rican company for providing an innovating and a strategic company focusing in maintaining its close values to the design and product that they were being marketing. So here was a visual arts artist who has lived around the world creating and expanding his art in cities like Los Angeles, Bogota, and Panama City as well in Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, he founded Proyecto Casa 146 with fellow artists and is currently directing Proyecto Temporal with Luciano Goizueta back in Costa Rica. excited to have you, Sergio, and Iran here with us. And um, I can't thank you enough for participating in our first podcast ever. <laughs> thank you. Yay. Thanks so um, much for having me. Of course. I should get going. I want to I know um, what Iran has to say. She has a pretty impressive record. <laughs> likewise, likewise. I love food, so I'm very excited to hear from Sergio. <laughs> yeah, I'm ex- all right. So uh, to start off, we just wanted to talk about, you know, what is self-care? So, you know, we're, I think we all have our own definitions or perceptions of what self-care is. So we just wanted to ask each of you in a couple sentences, um, how do you define self-care and what does it look like to you? So. Um, I don't know if Eden wants to start off and then said he'll can, can have some input. Um, yeah. Sure. Thanks, Karina. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been thinking about this question a lot, actually, particularly right now in the context of the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement, as you mentioned at the beginning. And I think for me, self-care is really about protecting and fortifying my energy. And I do that with a variety of tools and guiding principles that I've kind of integrated into my life at this point somewhat automatically. So these include things like getting enough sleep, exercising, spending time outside, preferably in a forest or in some sort of natural setting away from humans. Um, My relationship (laughs) with my food, which it looks like gardening as well as shopping locally and getting food as close to the source as possible and cooking for myself every day my art, um, particularly my poetry, but also reading other people's art and other people's works, uh, prioritizing my relationships with other people and building my community, whether it's with family or friends or like-minded folks who can help support each other, and then setting boundaries and really trying to have a work-life balance, but also kind of an energy balance where I'm prioritizing um, my time when I'm not working in order to kind of create a like a a barrier around myself, like an energy force field so that I can continue to nurture myself when I'm not on and sort of giving of my energy to other people. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. The energy thing is for reals. (laughs) I love, I love the whole like force field, like, you know, like having, it's like a creating your own like bubble, right? Like to kind of keep away the things that you don't need and keeping in the things that you really need. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I really love how you, you describe that. that. That's great. Yeah. So 
is there anything else that um, you think you, you know, besides what you just talked about that um, you, you kind of reflect upon, um, how do we, how do we, you know, how do we do that, right? Like, how do we protect that? Like you said, like boundaries are so important, right? So mm -hmm. how yeah. do we... I think going off the energy thing a little bit. So all of us in some capacity on this podcast right now are in some sort of service profession, whether it's directly in service to other people or advocating for communities or working with um, families and, and folks to try to improve their lives. And that is a really, I think, noble calling and something that makes us feel really good at a core level, but it also can be draining because it requires really devoting our energy and our presence in the service of others. And so I kind of try to think about it. Well, I don't really think about it consciously, but now that we're talking about it, I guess one way to conceptualize it is to think about it as that, that balance of energy. And when you give and give and give, at some point you have to refill the, the stock. You have to replenish the tank of that energy um, because that's what keeps you going. So for me, it looks like I'm a very organized person. And so for me, it looks like just being very protective of my time. And so if I've decided, you know, all right, today I'm going on a run after work, then I go on a run after work and that's that. And it's oftentimes to the point of scheduling it in my calendar, or I'm going to yoga this day. This is the day that is protected for me to do yoga at this time. And it's already in my calendar, just like I would put a meeting in my calendar. So I, it helps me um, to be very organized um, and very um, scheduled in, in some aspects of my self-care. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and uh, Sergio, for you, what do you what do you define self care, and what does that look like for you? Well, that's um, that's a great question, and um, I completely agree with everything that um, Irene said. Um, I would say that maybe the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that is um, something that we talk to our clients at Good Food all the time, and it's just um, self care has a lot to do with respect. Um, I think that's where it starts. And um, so I, I, maybe what I'm trying to say is that it's easier maybe to understand it when you say self-respect um, rather than just self-care, mm. because there are so many ways of taking care of something. Uh, but when you look at, at taking care of yourself as um, respecting yourself as a starting point, then the decisions that you make I think are different than when you see self-care as just, you know, like pampering yourself or say taking some time off or uh, because that could go so many ways, you know, like having mm -hmm. chocolate could be a way of, of, of self-care. If you have this um, relationship with chocolate where you think that that's going to make you feel better. Right. But mm -hmm. when you look at it as, um, okay, how am I going to respect myself? How am I going to respect my body and my mind in a way that I'm um, giving it things that are actually going to make me a better um, person, you know, and a better body and a better just human being overall? I think that when we look at health from a respect perspective and uh, which ties perfectly in, you know, with um, the whole social movement that we are having right now, you know, like when, when we look at a society and we the kind of work that we are all trying to do here as we talk is um, like you're in really um, she said it really well you know um, this we're all in a position of service and when you have that kind of a job 
we definitely have to start by being very clear about how we have to respect ourselves first in order to make better decisions that are going to make everyone else start to respect each other in a better way. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, that makes total. I mean, I, 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 I do understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying because it is, it does start a lot with that, right? Because mm-hmm. um, it is true. Like we, if we, if we start from a place of um, acknowledging, you know, ourselves and, and what it is that is important to us. Right. And, and how do we respect ourselves in that way? Um, and then, then we can kind of figure out then, okay, well then what do I need? Right? Like, how do I make this work or how do I get myself, um, to be a better, um, you know, in my case, like a therapist, right. So I can be healthy and I can be, um, you know, um, grounded and also mindful that, you know, I have clients that come in from different walks of life, right? And so how do I show that to them as well? And that's, it has to come from us first. That's, that's really true. Um, which I think goes to the, my, to the, to the other question that I kind of had too, which is knowing that if we start from the point of, self-care, self-respect, you know, it, it's important, of course, then how do we actively engage in that, right? And then how can we be intentional about our self-care? And I think you're pointing that out, Sergio, with what you're saying, you know, kind of starting with that point of that notion of self-respect. Mm-hmm. Um, but then how do we then transmit that into our homes, into our workspaces, into our social lives, you know, et cetera? How do we, how can we do that? How do we do that? Well, um, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just um, start um, by saying that um, it is a very common thing um, when, at least from our, you know, from our area of expertise, which is just the food part, um, when people are trying to make changes in the way they eat or they want to um, have healthier families and healthier households, you know, they're always asking, okay, how do I make this? a plausible thing, you know, like I, I see this on Instagram and I see this on Pinterest and everything seems so easy, but by the time I get to the kitchen, it's so hard, you know? Um, but I, I think that the way to make it intentional or at least a way that I have found um, to make it easier for people to understand how to make changes in your life and that in any area, I think, is if you start by, you know how, how people like to share on Pinterest and Instagram, this um, phrase that we are, you are what, what you eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. You listen to that all the time, you know, and you see it on Instagram, you see it on Pinterest and it looks beautiful if you just, you know, take a nice picture of, of a park and put that on top of it and then share it. And you feel like you're already healthy because you shared it. But <laughs> the truth is that um, I found it a lot more effective if you say, that you become what you eat instead of saying you are what you eat because that um, implies that you have to make a decision, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start talking about how to make it more intentional and how to really make changes for your household or your life in general, it's like, okay, if I am going to become this, whether it's food or whether it's exercise or whether it's, um, you know, know, some art class that you want to take, just think about, what you want to become because 
what you are going to give your body, that's what, what it's going to become anyway, you know? So I think that that is a good way, a good starting point when you want to, um, when, yeah, when you want to start ma making better decisions and instead of just having all this burden of having to do everything right, just start by listening to your own body and your own intuition and know what is going to get you closer to the, to the sort of um, person that you know you can be, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's a great point, Sergio. And, and to your point earlier, Vadi, something that this brings up for me is just um, the idea that our most important relationship is with ourselves. Um, and what I mean is that your, yourself is the one person who's going to be with you your entire life, no matter what, and is physically mm -hmm. present in your life every single moment that you exist on earth. And so I think sometimes we forget that that is a relationship that needs to be nurtured and taken care of just the, the way that we nurture our other relationships. And so when you talk about how, you know, we in the service profession are always giving and giving to our clients or our patients, um, you know, we have to think of ourselves as our own clients as well, in a way. And mm -hmm. so I think one maybe helpful way of reframing it is thinking, you know, it's, it may be intimidating to think about setting aside all this time and energy to make this amazing meal just for me. But would you do it for a close friend? Would you do it for a loved one or a partner? And if that's the level of care and dedication that you would show to somebody that you love, why are you not deserving of that also? Mm -hmm. um, I always think about this quote by Audre Lorde, where she said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. And I think about that a lot, particularly when we're talking about those of us who are from oppressed communities. Um, I think we are socialized to, to, to put ourselves last and to put the needs of everyone else first. And um, it's kind of like that saying when you're in the airplane, put on your own face, your own oxygen mask before you put on someone else's mask, right? We have to learn how to make that automatic so that we can... Um, we can be there for other people, but also because we deserve it and we are our own first and most important relationship. Yes, <laughs> I love that. And like, that just makes me think about also too, like, I feel like there's always this guilt associated with self-care, especially for those who are in like, you know, who are service providers, whether that be, you know, if you're in the medical field or if you're in the nonprofit field, like I feel like, um, that's such a thing where you always feel guilty for taking care of yourself. And like, it's just, you're always thinking, you know, I could be using this time to, you know, finish this project that, you know, this community project or that community, you know what I mean? And so I feel like the guilt mm -hmm. of self-care is something that's so hard to like battle off. Um, I don't know how, if you all have experience with that and how, how you've dealt with like, fighting off that guilt of self-care? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, though, the flip side of that is that that's why we have so much burnout, right, in these professions. Yeah. And it's not only because people are not taking their care of themselves. I think there are a lot of systemic factors with the way that mental health and, and medical health care, especially in the United States context, is practiced um, that are systemic and problematic. But... Um, I, I guess I counter the feelings of guilt with the sense that if I don't take care of myself, who will? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, only I know what I need at a given moment. Of course, I have wonderful friends and family who can look out for me and try to encourage me to take care of myself, but I'm the only one who actually has the agency to make myself do that or to set my own boundaries and know what I need in a moment. 
And that act of learning how to listen to myself actually makes me a better provider and a better physician um, than if I were to ignore my own needs. So I think the, we can't afford the flip side, which is that we have a generation of burned out providers who aren't mm-hmm. fully present and able to engage in compassionate care. Yeah, that is, that is really true. And I, and that's, you know, and it's, and it's problematic too, because, you know, I think about um, then the quality of care, right, that we as, as providers then provide <laughs> to our, to our clients or our patients, to our, you know, people that we work with or that we, you know, provide these supports, that then we're not giving them the best um, quality of care. And mm-hmm. that, and that, and we see a lot of that, right? Like we see a lot in social workers and, yeah. and psychologists and people who work in, you know, the various industries um, who provide vital um, services to people and are usually the ones that, you know, we, we kind of need to have um, these providers being also taken care of. But again, the burnout is so high, like you were saying, Irene, that people just leave their work, right? And then mm-hmm. it doesn't, it, I guess like that's where like continuity of, of good service care stops, right? Because we right. have these wonderful people who work, you know, until they're just completely exhausted, completely depleted, that they're like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm done. And that's, um, and that's really unfortunate. And I think that's, you know, you're talking about in, you know, in this country, in the United States, um how you know it's a very systemic problem that we have so kind of thinking a little bit about the barriers now right of like what you know do you guys think that you know is the culture of the united states conductive to self-care well i mean i think that there are many cultures in the united states but if we're talking about kind of the mainstream um what i would call capitalist culture of the u.s Yes. I agree that there are a lot of barriers and that it's not really conducive to to promoting self-care because first of all, I think what we're seeing right now is a commodification of self-care, which is both a capitalist attempt at, cap- at making money off of people's desire to to both be healthier and feel better, but also to portray that they're being healthy and feeling better. Like Sergio talked about the Instagram and the Pinterest posts mm-hmm. that people love right. sharing. Um, <laughs> so now we have this, this industry that's just popped up seemingly overnight with every kind of self-care gadget and gizmo and package that you could want, um, often with very little evidence base behind it, right? But a lot of great marketing. And that's supposed to to cure us of the underlying problem, which I think is really probably multiple factors, but I think a big one in the US is the lack of a work-life balance. I think we have a really, really inhumane expectations of workers, and I think it gets worse um, the, the lower down on the wage ladder you go. And I think it really is really difficult for some people to find the time and the space and the energy to do the things that make them feel good. Because if you don't have the money to go buy healthy food, you don't have the time to learn how to prepare it, you don't have access to a gym or your community is unsafe and you don't feel comfortable walking around and that's an anxiety provoking thing and not a calming thing, then um, how are you supposed to, to do the things that you know will make you feel good but you actually can't access because of capitalism? So I definitely think that the dominant culture um, needs to shift a lot to accommodate a true sort of 
self-care that is that is separate from the industry of self-care and wellness as a yeah. whole. I don't know what it's like in, in Costa Rica or the other places that you've been, Sergio. Well, um, it's it's actually very interesting to listen to to you say all this because um, what I'm thinking about as you say it is that, um, yes, I live in Costa Rica. I was born and raised here. Uh, my business is here. And even though it's a different country and it's a different culture, and like you said, there are so many cultures in, within just one country, but um, like the overall, like general, you know, capitalist culture that you were saying or you were talking about, I think it is so incredible that, um, I mean, there is so much, you guys have so much responsibility in the United States as a country and as a culture that I think that what's happening right now is um, like next level important, you know, because um, whatever, whatever you guys do, trickles down to the rest of Latin America. And mm -hmm. we are having type 2 diabetes and kids going up every single year. And it's because of the type of food that we are eating and this lifestyle that we have promoted, even mm -hmm. though we live in different countries, you know? Mm -hmm. But we keep thinking as Latin Americans that we were brought up to think like, you know, the American dream, like, yeah, you can go there and you can have it all and you can do whatever you want. If, if you, if you work hard and, you know, if you uh, break your back, basically um, working to three jobs and doing all this. And it's always been presented as this success story, you know, mm -hmm. and for, for um, most Latin Americans, that is the image of success. So if we keep, uh, promoting that sort of of a story um, and watching movies, for example, where that is a story that you um, equal to success, then whenever you have that moment where you're like, well, you know what? I actually feel better when I don't work that much, uh, but then start feeling guilty, then that's the big problem, which is what we were talking about earlier, you know? you get that guilt trip right that moment where your body and your mind are telling you, okay, this feels a lot better than actually, you know, having to work 18 hours a day or 12 hours a day, whatever it is still mm -hmm. too much. Um, eight hours is too much still. Eight hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, the whole system clearly is not working for our health. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm digressing, but the thing, the most important thing for me here right now, listening to you guys talk about this is um, I don't know how aware the Latin community in the US is of their importance in um, perpetuating this idea of success mm -hmm. to the rest of Latin America. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's such an important point. Um, having traveled and, and very briefly lived in some parts of Latin America, but more importantly, taking care of patients who have immigrated from many different countries. And something that I really try hard to do is um, be an example for the kids in a way, because I recognize that each of those children is watching me and they're taking cues from me because mm -hmm. for better or for worse, being a physician, 
I am an authority figure in that encounter. And so I make, I try really hard to say, you know what, even if you child speak, speak English or you want to interpret for your parent, actually we're all gonna speak Spanish here because that is your first language and that's how this encounter should happen. Or um, tell, you know, telling a parent, it's so great that when they tell me what their diet is, it's so great that you're doing beans and rice and vegetables because that's actually really healthy and what I want you to stay away from the American junk food. And yes. not just because it's affirming for the families and for the parents, but because it's an example for the kids that, oh, this is something aspirational that the doctor says is a good idea. Um, maybe there's something to that. And I, I think you're absolutely right. We need to change that messaging because the reality is that so many cultures around the world were doing the right thing before American fast food stepped in, right? <laughs> like there's so yeah. many studies that show that. <laughs> and then people immigrate here and it's like the health declines in the second generation, um, you know, exponentially. And we just need to, we need to lift up the examples of cultures that have gotten it right and not, and, and try not to impose these, uh, capitalist uh, ideas about convenience and overworking that that lead to that kind of lifestyle you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I just say like when you were talking about like the food, like in the image of success and like how that changes, especially with like immigration and things like that. Like I personally like remember being a kid and like my mom always packed us like lunch, right? Like homemade lunch. And it was always like, it wasn't like, you know, like a bologna sandwich, like you're, you know, like it was always like leftovers from the night before, you know, it was like our pozole <laughs> or like, mm. you know, when, like a torta, like it was always like, you know, like, re, like a meal. What we ate. Yeah, it was like a mm -hmm. meal. Mm -hmm. And I remember like as a kid, like, like two things, like I remember feeling like food shamed a lot from like my peers who were not Latino. And so that, and then seeing their lunches like made me feel like oh like that's what we should be aspiring to yeah. you know yeah. Like, yeah like the lunchables like the pre-packing yeah. <laughs> you know i'm like oh, i'm like oh yeah that's that's what i should be having right. like that's that's the right thing and it's like now growing up i'm like no like i had amazing home-cooked food mm. that was like made mm -hmm. with love and like you know was way more nutritional than a lot of these like pre-packaged or like you know foods with a lot of these preservatives and it's crazy how like that like Sergio said like that image of success or like that image of what we should be aspiring to shifts so much um because of like we've been talking about about capitalism and what like the American dream is you know so mm -hmm. thank you for bringing that up because that is something yeah that's that's, that's real. real that's a real experience that's real. <laughs> yeah. I also I just want to say for the record I also lobbied my parents in a very like organized and aggressive way for Lunchables. <laughs> my parents used to pack me really healthy homemade lunches too. And I was like, why can't I have Lunchables like everyone yes. else? And they never let up. And now I just look back and I'm like, I'm so glad that they didn't allow me to dictate what I was eating in oh elementary my school. <laughs> my, okay. I, I definitely think that that's gonna, that's gonna change like with all of this that is happening. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I definitely think that that sense of luxury, um, because at, at, from what we are all saying and what we all lived growing up, you know, like having processed um, uh, yellow cheese, which is, you know, oh my gosh, terrible, yeah. <laughs> was it, was it, I, I remember that the people who would take that to, to school as part of their lunch was like, oh my God, you're rich. 
Yeah, you know, like yeah, you, can, yeah. you can buy that. So I think that that's definitely going to change where um, being healthier and having access to, to better food is definitely going to be the new, the new rich, if you want, like the new luxury, yeah. which, which in, on the other side is a super, super big problem. Yeah. You know, because um, what, at least what I am seeing here in, in Costa Rica and in Latin America in general is that the lower income families, and this is exactly the same thing that is happening in the US, I'm sure, but lower income families are not having access to the best quality of food. And right. that is the, the government and you know, the country's job to make sure that that happens. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I'm pretty sure that the whole idea of luxury in terms of food is going to change. But what our job here is, is to make sure that um, the people who don't have easy access to the best quality of food get it um, from, you know, from other sources. But just to be able to, to make it a society-wide thing and not just the privileged ones who can get better food yeah yeah, yeah. that's absolutely and, an issue here yeah. too Sergio mm -hmm. it is and I think that's kind of where um you know you Sergio, you and I talked a little bit about this the other day of like how you know unfortunately like people who, who immigrate here like you were saying um they come here and you know they start um, feeding their children, you know, not necessarily the food that they're used to, because again, it's like that, well, they can't really afford maybe to buy like the most precious um, produce or the most less processed foods. But again, because also, you know, our um, immigrant families too, they work a lot. Um, they barely get home to make food for their kids anymore. Um, and so that also puts like a social pressure for these families, right? To be able to kind of maybe hold on to those um, just barely organic roots that they brought with them. Like, you know, like Karina was saying too, of like just having like a meal, right? Like having maybe like the beans and the rice and the meat or that, you know, that maybe they grew from their farms, but now they can't access any of that because here mm -hmm. that it's a little bit more expensive. And so, it's easier to buy a processed packaged food they can put in the microwave and give it to their kids, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. probably also cheaper in some sense. Yes. Um, and so it, it is a huge problem and, um, you know, and it, it is really scary um, to think about also the youth here, you know, how, and, and, and I see a lot with our Hispanic children and I, and Irene, you can maybe, you know, correct me with this, but how much, yes, their, their, their health diabetes is increasing, correct? Um, mm -hmm. And just because of the way um, they're being nourished here um, with the foods. And, and, you know, if we talk also about the school systems, right? Like, and we don't have to go into that detail, but <laughs> also the school systems and how um, they're also giving our children, you know, um, not the best quality food and they can be and and said he'll you know you know about this mm -hmm. about how it doesn't have to you can eat good food without costing too much money yes right? yes um that's that's, that's, that's one of the things that i constantly talk about and um 
I mean, I think it's incredible that it's, it's come to the point where actually getting access to better food is more expensive. Um, but I definitely think that even though, because there's this whole thing about, for example, organic being more expensive than inorganic produce and how um, we've actually come to the point where we talk about, oh, no, this is normal produce and this is organic, which I think is crazy. You know, like <laughs> uh, the normal C should be organic and not think mm -hmm. about, oh, this is normal and then this is organic. This is the weird one. Yeah. Um, but um, what I was going to say is that in terms of agriculture, at least here in Costa Rica, having your, your, your farm certified as an organic producer is a lot more expensive. So mm -hmm. not everyone is able to do that. Um, and, and then the other thing is that if there is no demand for it, then they don't see the need to produce it. So it's like, you know, I'm going to have to work more. I'm going to have to spend more money as a, as a, as a, as a farmer. Um, and then when I go to the farmer's market, everyone wants the um, quote unquote normal food because it's going to be cheaper. So that's something that definitely you have to fix from the government and from the different policies that you can make. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big problem here. Yeah, yeah that's a similar in the U.S. as well about um, the expense of being certified as an organic farm. And I think the difference, of course, is that in many parts of the U.S. we have the demand, but also, ironically, just because something is organic doesn't mean that it was produced in um, a holistically yeah. good for Absolutely. people way <laughs> when we talk that, about yeah. like yeah, abuse yeah. of farm workers and things like that, mm -hmm. um, or that it hasn't been sitting on a truck for three weeks as it came over from California. So yeah. how far does that organic label get you? But I think this is kind of bringing me back to this whole idea of self-care that we started with yeah. because um, this pursuit of doing what's cheapest and easiest, whether it's promoting quote unquote normal or conventionally produced foods with pesticides and herbicides, maybe is a, a cheaper way for farmers to do it. But at the same time, that mentality that the consumer has, like, oh, this is the normal food, it really separates us from the rest of nature that we sometimes forget that we're a part of. Mm -hmm. And we lose our relationship with our food and our relationship with other beings um, that I think it causes kind of a spiritual deficit in a, in a sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and it, and I think it goes back to that, you know, self-respect, right? Like if I choose to eat, right, like in terms of like food, um, the things that are maybe not the best for me, then I'm choosing, you know, um, it's, it's harder for me to really then put into perspective, you know, um, how am I really taking care of myself, right? How am I really... Um, going back to that self-care piece of like, because self-care, you know, as a general, yes, yeah, it's, it's how do we, how do we take care of our bodies? But if we're, if we're, you know, feeding it things that are more harmful than good, then that's going to have a negative impact, you know, in the years to come. It's not, you know, self-care in some ways, like we're talking about it has been capitalized and it's, yeah, like we can go get massages, we can go, you know, maybe have a face mask or um, do our nails or, you know, whatever it is that we enjoy doing for self-care. But again, that's just, you know, a little piece of it, whereas, you know, our health is such a big part of our, of our body and, and we have to keep it healthy so that also our brain is healthy. Um, 
And so how do we continue to promote that in a way that, you know, where we work as well um, understands what it is to have a good self-care? Um, you know, how do we advocate uh, that for ourselves if we can um, without it being, you know, guilt free yeah. and without it feeling like our boss is going to get mad at me for taking an hour during my lunch break to go for a walk or to go to the gym or, you know, whatever it is that I want to do. Um, so I think that's, that's so important to kind of think about, um, again, with what said you started saying at the very beginning of our podcast of how do we respect, like starting from that respect place. Um, yeah. I think when it comes to workplace culture in particular, as you were asking about body, um, I, I think it's about leading by example. So number one, asking for what you want and saying, you know what, I'm going to be most productive if I take my lunch hour and spend it outside and Mm -hmm. I won't be able to be reached at that time, but I'll be back in the office at one and you're welcome to stop by then. Um, Or just little cultural shifts where you put on your calendar Thursday afternoons from one to three, I have reserved administrative time. No one needs to know what's in that time. You could be at the gym or you could be working on a grant or something where you really need your own undivided attention and you don't want to be interrupted. You could be having your CS that like whatever you want to do with that time, but you are the only person who knows exactly what you need and how you work best. And so I think that we shouldn't be afraid to ask for that, but at the same time, we can lead by example. So for instance, I try really, really hard to not send any emails to people after five or on the weekends, unless it's an urgent issue and has something to do with patient care that needs to be addressed. If it's just something administrative, I do not send an email about that on the weekend. And part of it is that I don't really want to be dealing with work emails on the weekend, but part of it is I don't want to make other people feel like this is a workplace where you're expected to answer emails at 10 a.m. on Sunday or you know, a Saturday night, but that's not healthy. And so I also don't wanna put other people in a position of feeling like that's the culture that I'm establishing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I definitely think it goes, it goes both ways. And the more that you publicly set your boundaries and care for yourself, I think the more it can sort of trickle out to the rest of your community, whether it's your workplace or your neighborhood. I agree. I think that's, that's a, that's a very important um, point that you're making. And so when you recognize that there's a need, right. And and then you recognize that I need to take this break, right. Or like I need to take this moment for just to do whatever I need to do. Um, You know, I guess like, how do we, like, like, I think you're answering my question is like, I think leading by example is a really good way to start. And then you know, it trickles down to the agencies, our businesses, our places of work, um, and also into our families. So I think it does make a, you know, you do make a great point that I think um, we need to, I think we need to strive to continue to do a little bit, you know, within our workplaces to really start having these conversations with, you know, with our supervisors. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys have any other, um, I guess, and now in terms of one I'm just, I, I, I was just going to say, I, I was yeah. kind of speechless because I was just, um, <laughs> um, you know, I was thinking about, it's just mind boggling to me. Like I've, we've been doing this um, job for, you know, for good food for this company um, for six years. And um I am not like we were talking before we started recording. I'm not a nutritionist. 
I am not a doctor. I am not a dietitian. Um, mm. I'm not a psychologist, but I ended up going into this industry, um, coming from a completely different industry. And at first I was so, so, so insecure about what I was doing because, you know, I was like, oh my God, I need to talk to doctors and psychologists and everyone. And that's what I did. But in the end, it's just mind boggling to me that it's come to the point where um, someone from a completely different industry has to come into this one and to do the work that the professionals in that industry were supposed to be doing in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is also part of the problem because we've had, um, it's been longer than a generation of people drinking, you know, um, sodas, like um, diet sodas, for example, like they were water and you have dietitians telling you, oh, don't worry, it has no calories. You can have as much as you want. Um, so mm -hmm. it is ingrained in, e even in the health industry. Um, so this, this moment that we are living right now, I think is just, um, sort of like a natural way, I guess, of um, also sort of realizing who is actually doing the work for the right reasons mm -hmm. um, and implementing it in a way that is actually, that actually makes people healthier. Like, um, I think it was Iran who was saying, um, you know, there are so many companies, so many people now that um, thanks to social media and Instagram and all of this, if you have good marketing, you can become a guru in three seconds, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've seen that so often. And um, the more I see it happening and the more I see, you know, like, um, I'm not gonna call them universities, but th like that sort of um, education institutions um, promoting that, yeah, take this course and now you're gonna be a life coach and now you're gonna be a health coach. And now um, you're gonna do this and that, I think it's, it, it says, I'm not going to say that it's necessarily wrong, but I think it says a lot about how we've managed things so far mm -hmm. that we need someone who's just taken, you know, a three month course to become the new guru. Um, yeah. 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 Well, the thing and, is, I mean, know, you, you know, this, Iran, like, you know, you know how long <laughs> it takes to become a doctor, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not because it takes 15 years, just because they decided it's going to take 15 years. That's how long it takes because you mm -hmm. need the experience and you need to study a lot. So, so when we come with, we come up with these like um, shortcuts to health, um, I, I just think it speaks, you know, volumes about our society today. Yeah. I think Sergio, your experience is so important because you bring up the point that yes, it, there are some fields where you need a certain amount of training or, or background expertise that just takes time to accumulate. But I also think that at least in the US in this kind of high capitalist culture, we've been divorced from our own intuition and our deep mm -hmm. inner knowledge that if we really listen to it, not, oh, I feel good when I drink a soda because I get a sugar high for a second and that makes me hyper and I can power through the next 15 minutes. But I feel good when I eat fresh vegetables because I'm better able to manage my anxiety or I'm better able to sleep tonight. And when you have that deep kind of listening to your own body and your deep sense of what you need and that kind of intuition, which I think takes 
a long time to cultivate, but mm-hmm. is unique to every individual, then you don't need an industry telling you to buy this thing or to go get a massage or, you know, sign on to Gwyneth Paltrow's whatever about, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you don't need people to tell you how to be healthy. Humans, I think you know how to take care of yourself. You just have to drown out the noise around you and the distractions and we have to get rid of the barriers for people to be able to do what we've been doing for centuries and that's not to say that you know professionals don't have a role um but that i think part of the problem is the lack of empowerment and i have this conversation all the time with patients i'll have kids come in who've had all these these crazy symptoms and no one's been able to put it together and you know we we talk and we figure out there's something that happened in their life some trauma that explains that they're holding on to this stress. And then I tell them, well, let's talk about, you know, deep breathing exercises. Let's talk about yoga. Let's talk about these things that may be able to help you. And as I start mentioning these tools and trying to figure out what would be most helpful, invariably, at least one of them, they'll, they'll say, they'll grab onto at least one and say, oh yeah, I already journal doctor. That is helpful. I already do that deep breathing exercise. And that really does help calm me down. And so then I'm like, great, you don't need me. I mean, you, your body knows what to do. So I'm just here to be your cheerleader and say, wonderful. If that's what's making you feel better, then keep doing it. And again, in that kind of holistic way, not like better for a moment in the way that this addictive sort of processed food industry um, has created. Yeah. And I think, you know, just, um, before we we do kind of end today, just I just I think that whole the holistic approach, you know, and when it when it comes to mind and body, you know, as a as a you know when I see my clients, I always tell them, you know, you can't you can if your if your mind and your body are not like aligned together and they're not communicating, um, you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be a, a problem and. A lot of that comes with, you know, what you're putting into your body and also, you know, kind of what the amount of, of time you're, you're spending to really take care of yourself. So if you're not doing any of those things that are going to nourish your, your body and your mind, then there's going to be a disconnect. Um, and of course, if things like trauma, you know, depression or anxiety already present then it's just gonna make your your whole system you know not feel okay um and so i think it's so important that you know we do have these conversations um that we're having today because um it is important to continue to explore the ways and in which we can you know you know nourish our body and also you know it helps us become also you know resilient to to what comes mm-hmm. to our life right so yes mm-hmm. I, I said that, that too and I, I just wanted to say too like um when you're talking about like your body and your mind being aligned buddy i think said mm-hmm. was talking about it earlier where it's like you might be doing something and you're like, wow, this feels good. And like, you know, like maybe your body's happy, but then your mind is somewhere else and thinking about, Mm -hmm. well, I should be working or I should be doing this. And so that in itself, like that friction causes so much anxiety to the point where you're like, you're no longer even accomplishing that task that your mind's telling you to do. And then you're no longer enjoying like what you were enjoying. So it's just like, nothing about it is like good for you (laughs) at all Mm -hmm. right exactly 
exactly yeah so before we end because i know our time is almost up and and it it goes by so fast <laughs> but this has been so much fun um and i guess i would just like to ask each one of you what are some of the takeaways that you would we would want people who are listening um to take home today or tonight as we end our our podcast today from a conversation of self-care i think the biggest maybe practical takeaway that i would offer is if you're not already doing it start to think about your relationship with yourself like any other relationship in your life. And whenever you're faced with a question of how do I best care for myself in this moment or what should I do? Should I do that extra hour of work or should I go to bed early or work out? Think about what would you tell a good friend and have the same level of compassion and respect and care for yourself that you would for your closest loved ones. I love that. Yeah. I love that, yeah. I know, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And um, I guess I would, add um i don't know if that's the main takeaway from what we've talked about but it just popped into my mind and um like think about how you know there's this this social pressure that i feel has gotten heavier and heavier about this also like a very pinterest and instagram sort of phrase that um, talks about the best self, you know, like your best self, you can be your best self. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's this pressure building up on this idea of always getting to your best self that is almost unattainable, that um, is also dangerous in that sense. So more than thinking or talking about always trying to get to your best self, I think it starts with realizing that you're already pretty great, okay? Like if you yeah. start there mm -hmm. and, uh, and you're like, okay, I'm pretty cool. I think I can, <laughs> there, there, are, there are a few things going on for me. Like if, if you start there, then the adjustments are gonna be adjustments um, that make it sustainable for the rest of your life because they're gonna uh, come from within, you know? They're gonna come from, something that is true to who you really are and not to this best self that maybe you saw on the Gwyneth Paltrow show. Yeah. You know? so, um, so, and I have yeah. nothing against Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, I, just, <laughs> I, I, think, I, think it, I think it's great that someone with that kind of yeah. leverage can, can, you know, like actually do something of what she's doing and, you know, you can have a whole discussion about it. But um, what I'm trying to say is that this, if, if we start saying, or if we keep saying, be the best version of yourself, then that version is gonna keep changing and changing and changing. So it, we're never gonna get there. Mm -hmm. um, where if we just start by recognizing and listening to our bodies and respecting our, our, not even just our bodies, just think about, we have this mantra in, in our company, which is, en una sociedad más sana ganamos todos. So in, in a healthier society, everyone wins. Yeah, um, and we even our approach to to the content that we produce. Uh, there are two main questions, which are, how does this content um, help to create a healthier society? And um, it's just content that has to nurture people. So if you want to take that to a personal level, 
just start by asking yourself, like, how, how is the current you helping to create a healthier society? Mm-hmm. And yeah. maybe through that, que- through that question, if, if you're more interested in helping society rather than helping yourself, then you can start there, you know, like saying, okay, if I start changing these things in my life, which are going to make me feel better, then for sure I'm going to help others. And if that's something that, that um, is, you know, that pushes you to do things, that could help and that could change the world. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. This is great. And it's bringing it back to that, I think it's that resilience piece because we all, you know, I always believe that everybody has, has the ability to be resilient. And like what you're saying is like, if we start from that point of, I am, you know, I'm great. <laughs> And I, and I can be and do what I need to do because I'm, I'm, I'm great. Then yeah, we're, we're human beings. We're, we're evolving constantly. And I think we're our own, um, you know, we're our own kind of, um, barriers at some point, you know, at some point, because we don't necessarily maybe think that we have those, um, potentials, right. To, to change and to, and to do better for ourselves. Um, So. And it's like, if, you, if you're reaching for your best self, then what happens when you get there? Where do you have right. to go after that? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That, that's exactly my point. I mean, like, feel, I feel like we're getting, we're getting to the point with this whole best self idea. We're getting to the point of, you know, how during the 80s and 90s, this whole idea of being a Wall Street executive was, you know, the epitome of success, you know, mm-hmm. and accumulating as much money as you could, then that's someone successful. Um, so the equivalent to that now is like, well, if you end up being like one of these like super versions of yourself, then that is success. But the Mm -hmm. thing is, if we keep, um, aiming for something that doesn't exist here right now, then we're never going to get it. Uh, All right. At least I, I think it's, it's like putting a carrot in front of the, of the horse, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and and maybe the horse is never going to get the carrot that that's how i feel about it yes i also like just like last minute thoughts too about the fact that i think sometimes especially in this culture but i would say you know it's everywhere is we're obsessed with the idea of looking healthy and not necessarily feeling healthy you know and i think we have this idea of what healthy looks like Mm-hmm. And we're all obsessed with that rather than like, like you all have been saying, like listening to your body and like, how do, how does this make me feel like physically in my body? You know, I think that that's really important too. Mm-hmm. Well, thank then, you. Sorry. So just, just one, one more thing yes, that yes, I was yes, thinking yes, about that I think that I think is important. Um, uh-huh. Being that, you know, you are constantly talking to, to the Latin community in the U S um, mm-hmm. And I know how, as as Latinos, like we we think that Latin people eat in a certain way. In terms, mm-hmm. like in, you know, we're like, oh yeah, you know. But since we are Latinos, we want to eat chicharrones every week, and yeah. we want to have, <laughs> um, you know, like all these um, fatty foods, which are delicious. But um, <laughs> we also have to understand that they come from. Um, 
very specific ways of eating them within our own culture. You know, like mm-hmm. people weren't having pork every day. They would kill a pig um, maybe once a year to have tamales at the end of the year or to have chicharrones for, you know, a wedding or for something. But it mm-hmm. wasn't something that we had available every single week. So I think that when we also say as a culture, like, oh, well, that's culturally how we eat. And that that's, you know, like um, Latinos, it's normal that we get uh, fatter because we eat more more fat. Well, that's not well, that has to change anyway. That's the case. You know, like we, we also have to adapt the way we are eating as a culture instead of just sometimes. Um, sticking to what we know without questioning it because that's also a mistake. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's really true too. I agree. Yes. Um, and and uh, I mean, I would love to keep talking about this, and um, but I also want to appreciate and you know just give you the time to just um, say thank you and for participating in in this podcast and. Um, I'm truly grateful for the both of you taking your time today to 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 be here. So thank you. Thank yes. you so thank much you. for inviting us. Thank you yes. both so much. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate everything you all were saying. I was just like, I'm glad the video's not on because I was just like dancing at everything you all were saying because <laughs> it made it made me so happy. Um, and I just really appreciate this conversation. And yeah, um, also just want to say. Um, for whoever's listening, um, we'll be putting out a new podcast episode. Our goal is to put one out every single week. Um, like Vadi said in the beginning, um, under, you know, different topics under the umbrella of self-care. Um, so I think next week we'll be talking about self-care um, specifically for teens and what that looks like and the youth and the teenagers in our community here. Um, so yeah, so make sure to keep an eye out for that one as well. Um, but yeah, thank you both so much, and thank you, Vadi, for having thank us. Thank you, everybody, and I'm so looking forward to continuing with our podcast series. And again, thank you for our guests, and we will be back. Yay.